Thank you for joining the Money Happy Hour, where we make every hour a happy hour for your money. I'm your host, Tom, the Savings Captain, and of course, I'm joined by my producer, Radish, the hardest working dog in podcasting. Today, we are going to have a great conversation with Lindsay Stamp. Before we get into that, I really hope 2024 is getting off to a great start for you and your family, and that this is going to be just a money happy hour filled year. So if you're new to the money happy hour, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. And you know what I'm going to ask. Wherever you're listening to this podcast on, hit that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. Radish and I are totally grateful for that. So let's go ahead and jump in. Lindsay Stamp is a 30-year-old stock and real estate investor who, get this, she stamped out $100,000 in consumer debt, and she's documenting her wealth-building journey on X. You can find her at Lindsay Stamp 3 on X, and I'll leave her contact information, of course, in the show notes. But Lindsay, she hopes to show others that financial independence is definitely attainable by consistently investing your nine to five income over the long term. Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm good, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's totally great to have you here. Lindsay, I guess we've got to start. We've got to start with that big question. You are still, you're 30 years old. I am 30 years old. Had $100,000 in debt. I'm going to hit you with a big question right out of the gate. Because a lot of people right now, it's the new year. They're beginning with, how do I get my finances in order? You are going to touch. You are going to change a person's life. A person's life that you or I may never know or meet. When they hear that you're 30, that you were $100,000 in debt, what was it? What caused it? And if you don't mind sharing, of course. And then what was your game plan to get out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, you know, after college, I got a job uh, working in the insurance industry. And it was the first time in my life that, you know, I had money. Whenever I was in college, I was, you know, what they would call a poor, a poor college kid. And um, whenever I got out of school and I got a job, I kind of just felt like I had that attitude of, I deserve it. You know, I'm, I'm going to work every day and I, I want to have things that I've never had before. So um, part of the 100000 in consumer debt was a Jeep Wrangler, um, credit card debt, um, small student loan. Um, I took out a little bit later on a loan to do some uh, renovation work on a property that I had purchased. Um, and so before I knew it, it had just ballooned into hundred thousand dollars. And one day I added it up and I was like, I, I need to do something about this. So um, basically what we did was uh, we completely changed our lifestyle. We sold a whole bunch of stuff. I sold the Jeep. Um, I had a jet ski that I sold. I sold a bunch of furniture that I had put on a credit card, um, sold clothes, shoes, you name it. I sold it. Um, I was working my full-time job. I had side jobs. I bartended for a while drove for DoorDash, anything to make some extra money, and then really just 
cut our expenses down extremely and tried to increase our income and sent every additional dollar we had over the budget to our debt until it was paid off. How, how many years did that take you? It took us just over a year in total to pay it off. We really like went crazy with it. So when you say us, were you and your wife um, just together or were you, were you married at the time going through this? We were married at the time. Yeah. So we were both on board a hundred percent and realized like if we really want to invest our money in the stock market and invest in real estate, we have to create more margin and we can't be sending all the money that we make from our jobs to get payments every month. Yeah. You know, on the money happy hour, we, we never, we never judge. Um, you know, I see a lot of posts on social media. Oh, they will make it sound like it's the greatest fool that a person gets into debt. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. I don't believe that it's a, it's a growth thing to get out of it. So what, how did you and your wife become into agreement that this is the thing that we have to zero in on focus and take care of? Yeah, I think, you know, everybody handles money differently and everybody has kind of a different background with money. And I'd say that my background originally with money, like the first two-ish years after I started working was that I was the spender in the relationship and my wife was the saver. So my wife never really had any debt of any sort. She never had car debt, um, never had student debt, never had credit card, nothing like that. Um, that was pretty much my doing. Um, and so to make a really long story short about kind of our past and how we got to where we are today, um, I was just kind of bumping along, going to a job that I didn't really like every day. and. Um, had a good bit of debt. And me and my wife and our family, we went through a bit of a traumatic event in 2017. And, um, you know, after a few months after getting over that situation, um, I just had an entirely different look on life. I think we both did. Um, basically, we weren't willing to wake up every day to go to a job we didn't like and get checks to pay off things that we had purchased in the past. You know, we, we wanted to live a different life. And so it was kind of a a come to Jesus moment where it was like, we don't want to live this way and we have to actually make a plan. And what I will say is that I think what holds a lot of people back to paying off their debt is that they don't know what the reality of the situation is because they kind of brush it under the rug, like an out of sight, out of mind type of situation. Like if I don't add it up and I just keep making minimum payments and don't think about it, then I can keep living my life and um, whenever you really sit down with a pen and paper and you add up every single piece of debt that you have and you really see the reality of it sitting in front of you, um, I think that scared us a little bit. And we were like, we, we got to get this under control or else we're going to be living this way forever. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like, well, if I can, if we can continue making the minimum payments or the monthly payments, we're okay. We're going to get through this thing, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And it's like, you know, minimum payments or, or just payments in general, like before you know it, all the money that you make from your job is, is spoken for, you know, with payments yeah. on different things and there's never any left over. And it's a terrible way to live in my opinion, because I've been there and I, you know, vowed that I would never be in that position again. So a year, year and a half of sacrifice. Do you remember that, that hundred thousand, how much did you take off the table 
like with the big fire sale, selling everything you owned? How much did that cut? Well, we were able to, when I sold the Jeep, I ended up buying a Honda, which was quite a bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that sold the jet ski, which was like 10,000 right there. Um, Furniture sold, that was a few thousand. Um, And then we actually, you know, through the course of decreasing our expenses, we were able to save up quite a bit of an emergency fund. So I think at the time we had about $20,000 saved up and we sent all of it to the debt. Um, so we kind of did the, you know, what people would call the Dave Ramsey strategy of just leaving a few thousand dollars and sending the rest of it towards debt um, to kind of kickstart it and then pay off the smallest to largest debts in order the snowball. And it worked for us. So, yeah, Lindsay, that was it's interesting you bring that up. That was going to be my next question. This is always the big debate. I see this online a bit. The snowball method of paying off. Debt or avalanche? What what did yeah. what worked for you and your wife? Yeah, we did the snowball, um, and I think you know if you're somebody who really wants to get out of debt, I think either one would probably work. And I I've I've seen the debate as well, um, and I understand where the debt avalanche people are coming from. They're worried about yeah. interest rate, and I completely understand that. But for us, like we had a bunch of small debts. For example, I had taken out a 401k loan. Um, for a home down payment back in 2018. And um, I had been paying it off. Like every paycheck I got from work, I just sent some of my paycheck directly, you know, out of my check to pay that off. Um, And when we started like really getting aggressive with paying off debt, I think I had like 1,400 or 1,500 left to pay on it. And um, I remember like when those small debts were able to be knocked out, like when we were like, okay, we have $1,500, let's knock this one out, you know? And then up to the next one, that was really a motivator to see the debt falling off. And I think that's the good part about the snowball as opposed to the avalanche, where if you start with your largest debt, like you have a $40,000 car loan or maybe you have $60,000 in student loans, like you could be paying that for months and months and months and never, never see it go away. And I think that, you know, it's a psychological thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's been a long time. It was a much smaller amount. So that's why I marvel that you and your wife were able to get through this in such quick fashion. But I remember my wife and I did the same thing years and years ago. I must have been in our 20s. And uh, it was, you know, three or four different things. We, we used the snowball method, I guess, mathematically. Um, the avalanche method would have worked. But we, we mm-hmm. like that same thing. The $112 a month you were paying to this. Now, when that gets paid off, move it over to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember all the specifics. I guess it worked out. Just like you, we're here now, so it worked. Yeah, exactly. No, we um, – and I don't want to make it seem like, you know um, you know, I know that $100,000 paid off in – you know, a year and a half is a lot, but I, I also want to say that, you know, me and my wife have pretty decent incomes, you know, and we were doing a lot of things on the side. So we had quite a bit of margin, you know, on the side, you know, while we were going through this, I want to say we had like minimum $5,000 a month to throw at the debt. So it was, you know, that's why the process was as quick as it was, but we didn't always make money like that, you know, in, in our early years after college graduation and all that, we made much less and it would have been a lot harder to get through that um, on a lower salary. Not to say it can't be done. It, it would have just taken us a little bit longer. Yeah. 
what well, definitely helps when you have that bigger shovel to, to dig out with. Um, talk about, you, you said something earlier, like you're going to a job making good money. You don't really like it. And then you're living, you have all this debt. Mm-hmm. Um, did, how did your feeling or temperament towards your job change? Like once you went from being in debt to then having either the same job or still working and then being out of debt, what, what did life feel like? Yeah. So whenever I first made the decision that we were going to get out of debt, I was really working a job that I didn't necessarily enjoy. Um, and part of the reason and the push to get out of debt was so that we had the option to leave the jobs we didn't like to pursue something we did like, even if it meant making less money, you know, it was kind of a compromise. It's like, well, I don't, I can make less money if I don't have all these debt payments. And so I think that was a huge factor too. in in getting out of debt, um, funny enough, um, right around the time that we were paying off debt and getting almost done with it. Um, I ended up getting a new job at the same company, um, just a different role. And, um, I like it so much more and I am so grateful now that I stuck through the first six years of employment at the company I was working for um, because years six through eight, I've really enjoyed this job. And now that I have the option to walk away because I don't have consumer debt and I have rental properties and I have money in the stock market, I don't want to walk away. Um, and I think that's the, the kind of the funny part about, um, you know, how my mindset towards it has changed. Isn't that funny? Was it coincidental or just that's the way, just the way life works that you end up getting out of debt and you end up getting a job you're happier with? Is it more coincidence or? Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I want to think it's a coincidence, but I also probably would say that my attitude overall is different now being out of debt. I mean, I think that there's a certain level of stress that comes to your life when you have debt hanging over your head. It's like, you know, if I miss one paycheck or I get laid off or I get injured or I get fired, you know, any of those things, it's like it can put your family and, and your livelihood kind of at risk. Um, and then when you don't have that, when you have a situation where you don't have any consumer debt, you have a really nice emergency fund, it's like a weight lifted off your shoulders. And I think, I think you can become such a more positive and uplifting and just, you know, happier person because the little things that happen at work, they're not the end of the world. It's just, you know, if, yeah. if something big happens or, you know, you get a different boss or, you know, your company decides to go in a different direction and you don't agree with it. like that's okay. You know, you can walk away because you have options. Um, and when you're in debt, it's really yeah. hard to have options. It, that, that's exactly what I was suspecting and getting at. Right? You know, I've always heard the thing uh, more specific to sales-based careers, like a salesperson that's desperate. The customer can always sense it. It gives <laughs> like a bad sale and they can't make a sale and the financial problems get worse. But that same salesperson who's got confidence and a little bit of financial security boy they show up a little bit better and it's funny how things change like the behavioral side of it yeah money is important it affects our lives for sure um Lindsay, i had one other question now we can finally get off the debt side of the ledger we can move on to the process yay sure. uh, the, the final question i have this is always a, another debate 
I want to see what advice or guidance you have. And this is just opinions at this point. But I always see like, hey, you're in debt. Stop all your investing, 401k stuff until you get out of debt. What do you think about that? What did you guys do? Yeah, I see that a lot too. And I think it's another one of those things like the snowball and like the avalanche that I can see both sides of. And I definitely understand the argument of, you know, if you pause all retirement contributions to investing, you have more money coming in, more money to throw at the debt, you can get out of debt faster. And I would say my opinion is that it depends on how much debt you have and how long it's going to take you to get out of debt. Um, so, you know, if you have $5,000 a month to throw a debt, you have $60,000 worth of debt, you know, you could say, okay, this is going to take me 12 months. In the big scheme of things, is 12 months of not investing going to make or break me? Maybe yeah. not. Um, if you're somebody that has a thousand or $100,000 of debt and you only have $2,000 a month to throw at it and it's going to take you 20 months or almost two years, that's a, that's a little bit of a different conversation. Um, so I would say personally for us, um, we knew that we had good enough margin in our budget to pay off the debt mm-hmm. while also investing. And I, I think it's valuable to, at the very minimum, get the match, the 401k match. We both have um, corporate jobs. And so getting the 401k match, I think, is the bare minimum. For us, we also um, continued to invest in our Roth IRAs. Um, but we did not invest anywhere else. So we did not invest in the brokerage account. We actually, when we started getting serious about paying off debt, we actually cashed out the brokerage and we sent the money that was in that towards the debt, to, you know, get started as well. Um, so for us, we continued 401k and Roth and everything else um, went towards the debt. But again, I, I do see the other side and um, yeah. I think it can be valuable depending on your certain circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree with that approach. I'm trying to remember what my wife and I did closer to 30 years ago now. (laughs) If I had to guess, I think I I took the match kind of like you, I couldn't give up that free money and uh, it it just, it all worked out is what I'm getting at. And I like there's degrees to things. A lot of times with money, we always make it the two words I can't stand with money is never do this and always do this. (laughs) Usually it's not that cookie cutter. There's a lot of gray area with finances for sure. Absolutely. All right. So when I go to your profile, when I go to your account on X, I love your pinned, the post that you've got pinned up there. And I'll mm-hmm. read it for the audience. It says, my goal is to have enough monthly income from rentals and dividends to replace the income from my job. I'm 30 now, and I think it's doable by 40. Let's talk about that. What's yeah. going on? What's going on? What's your, um, so you're, you're supercharged now you're hitting 30. This is going to be the decade. This is going to be the decade of Lindsay, um, here between now and age 40. You got some rentals. Um, what's your game plan? How are you doing it? Yeah. So we started out in 2020, we bought our first rental property, um, and to repurchase our first one, the goal was to buy one property per year. And so we've been on, um, for the last you know, four years, calendar years, I guess. So we bought one property in 2020, one in 2021, one in 2022, and then one in 2023. We just closed about two weeks ago on the fourth one. Um, and the strategy really is just to buy single family homes 
Um, not that I'm opposed to multi-unit properties. I just don't have experience in that yet. And um, something I'm interested in and may look into getting into down the road. Um, but for now, single family homes. Um, and then kind of mixing that in with buying ETFs and index funds. I don't, and I have in the past, and this is a whole nother rabbit hole that we could go down at some point. Um, but when I first started investing in the stock market, I started just with my 401k and my Roth IRA. Um, and then started after that branching out to investing in single, you know, individual stocks. I was buying options, day trading, buying penny stocks. I mean, just the whole nine. Um, and I quickly realized that I did not have the knowledge and skills to beat the market whatsoever. Um, and that I, I really shouldn't have been doing that at that stage in my investment career. And so after we, you know, cashed out the brokerage, sent it towards debt, um, had the debt paid off, you know, we're in a position where we're like, we're going to start investing in the full account again. Um, our strategy has been, just been buying weekly, buying um, mostly Vanguard ETFs, and um, just being consistent with it, buying, you know, dollar cost averaging, buying when the market's high, buying when the market's low. Um, and then following that up with hopefully one single family property per year. And, and we're going to just keep on going for now until, you know, we decide to make a change. What a great approach. You know, it's funny. Um, I've worked with a lot of investors. I always worked more in the investing, the stock and, you know, ETF side when I was advising clients. And some people would say, well, I don't invest in the market. I don't you know, investing doesn't work for me. And then I find out what they invested in. And it was stuff like you said. And it was like, well, you, you really weren't in investing. You were invested, but that's not investing. It's great that you made that um, separation and said, I don't have to do that, but this is what I should be looking at. Um, yeah. No, I, I made a, a lot of mistakes in the stock market. I'll say that. But I also learned very, very quickly. You know, it wasn't one of those things where I was trying to trade options and buy penny stocks for a long time. This was like, you know, a year or less that I was giving this a go. And I quickly realized, like, this is stressful. I'm stressed. I'm tired of looking at my portfolio every second, like wondering what's happening, what's going up, what's going down, what news just came out that made this stock go up and this stock tank. And just, I just realized that I wanted peace in my life. And, you know, this was a stressor at the time. So I was like, I'm gonna, you know, change my approach and just, you know, buy ETFs and index funds. And, you know, I think it ultimately the best way that I can put it is I feel like, you know, I was humbled by the market, I lost some money, and I learned some lessons. And I feel like I learned everything I needed to learn to know exactly what to do. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favorite podcast app, or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. That bit of learning of trial and error, failing at something, and then coming back 
and trying it again. I know you were a college athlete. You played basketball. How did mm-hmm. that shape you kind of like how you're handling money, some setbacks and. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'll, I'll say this to anybody who will listen to me. It's like, you know, I think that competitive sports, not necessarily even college sports, but just sports in general. I think that it, you know, allowed me to overcome every bit of adversity that I've faced in my adult life so far. Um, I can't say enough good and positive things about playing competitive sports and some of the things that are similar, you know, is, um, you know, it's, things are bigger than yourself. You know, you can show up and be your best one day and that doesn't mean that you're going to win. You have to figure out how to be a part of a team. You know, you have to understand that the decisions that you make affect a larger group of people. You know, you have to understand that you're not going to be the player of the year or an all American overnight. You know, these are things that take years and decades of sacrifice and work every single day, every summer, every season, every day working on your craft. And, um, you know, you're going to go out certain days and you're going to give your all and you're going to come up short. You know, those are all things that you have to learn to lose and you have to learn to win. And, you know, you have to learn to work with other people. Just, there's just so many things in sports that are so valuable in life. And um, I think that there's a really, really strong correlation between my, my athletic career and my investment career because you know I, I will say that when basketball ended after I had played you know I started playing when I was seven years old and when I was 22 years old and graduated from college I had no idea what to do with my time um, you know I had no idea what my identity was I'm not a basketball player I'm not an athlete you know what is my life going to look like moving forward? And I think whenever I found investing and in the stock market and in real estate, um, I kind of found something that was going to fill that void that I felt. Um, and that's kind of why I fell in love with it. Cause it's just me comparing myself against the person that I was last year. Mm. How much money did I invest last year? What mistakes did I make last year? Did I remedy those mistakes this year? Did I make the same mistakes? Very similar to in basketball, you know, whatever my weakness was last year, am I better at that aspect of the game this year? Um, those types of things. There, there's just a lot of comparisons. Yeah, that is, I mean, great analogies there, Lindsay. And yeah, it's, I didn't play at the college level, just baseball football through high school. And I know with that feeling, you take the uniform off that last time. You're like, what, who am I? Is there going to be a next year? And, uh, mm-hmm. you just, life goes on, but it's mm-hmm. such still to this day, an old, old man. I can just think back. Um, I, f- I remember the highlights more now than the lowlights. Isn't that funny <laughs> in the moment? I remember all the lowlights costing a, um, coughing up the ball and costing the team a game. I, I don't remember mm-hmm. that that much, but I remember the highlights. And, the exact same way. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners, I have to break out the old highlight reel of uh, my game tape if I can find it. I'd love to see it, Tom, if you have it. Yeah. Believe it or not, I have this uh, rechange. I was a skinny boy back then. Couldn't keep weight on. Fastest thing. I went from now I think I could probably, I could probably pay offensive linemen at the next level. 
So, but seriously, in that pin post that you have, I love how you say it. I'm 30 now, and I think it's doable by 40. Ooh, do I hear a sequel there? What happens at age 40, Lindsay? What do you think? No, at age 40, you know, I'm not sure what that looks like yet, and I'm really interested to see what I come up with, honestly. But you know, I I've posted before about how I work in the insurance industry, and I have for the last eight years, and. I've also posted about how I don't love insurance and I'm not passionate about insurance. And I think that that's okay. You know, I think that there is a time and a place to chase your passions and there's a time and a place to chase whatever is going to get you to your larger goal. If one means more to you than the other. And so for me, uh, reaching financial freedom and investing in real estate and investing in the stock market meant more to me than chasing my passion. And so for me, it was, you know, let's go after the thing that's going to get me to my goal faster. Um, and so ultimately what I would love to do is, you know, I would love to have a situation where we have enough rental properties and um, dividends or stock portfolio that the money that we're, you know, bringing in every month from those covers the money that we make from our, our jobs now. And um, if, and when that happens, um, you know, I would love for my wife to be able to retire and, um, you know, we eventually want to have a family and I know she wants to stay home and raise kids and I fully support that. And, um, when my time comes to quote unquote, retire from insurance, I would love to follow my passion at that point. And part of that is real estate, um, managing real estate. Um, and I would also like to work with other investors and people that are trying to tap into the market, um, you know, invest in their first deals. Um, because, you know, I had a real estate mentor and I, I just, I think that they're so valuable. And, um, I think that you can get to the next level a lot quicker when you have somebody who's done it and, and giving you advice. Yeah, that's so well thought out and laid out. You expressed that perfectly, Lindsay. Um, you're 30 years old. It is an, un. what I love what you're doing is you're, you're, you're giving yourself options at 40 because you don't know exactly where life's going to take you, right? You got family coming in. Mm -hmm. Who knows? You, you may, you may be a, this could be a love hate relationship for 10 years in insurance. You know, I, I had it real good in brokerage. I loved it up until I didn't like it anymore. I did it for 32 years. If you would have asked me this question at 30, I would have said, I would be going into the office at 77 or 78 years old mm -hmm. in my same old Volvo. People would laugh at it. I really loved it that much. And then 50s started coming. I was like, this is, no, nah, these people, I'm not going to do this. This isn't what I want to do anymore. So having that option is beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. And I really commend you for, you know, and people like you that recognize that, you know, I loved what I was doing and now it's not serving me the way that, it used to. And so for that, I'm going to make a change. You know, I think that that takes a lot to do that. It is. That's exactly right. So here on the Money Happy, always we, we always like to talk about like what people do for fun. So Radish, I mean, she, she, Radish, I love her. She always asks this question. She's, she, she likes having fun. What do you, or what do you and your wife like to do uh, when you're not finding rental properties and building your portfolio? What do you guys do for fun? Yeah, a couple of things. So me personally, I absolutely love to cook. 
Um, that's something about me that I don't think a lot of people know. Um, you know, if I, if money was no object right this very second and I had the option to quit my job and just stay up and quit, I would probably try to become a chef or try to buy a food truck, um, something along those lines. I love it. And that's like where I feel like my creative side comes out. But um, the two of us, we love to play pickleball. Um, it's one of those sports that I never tried up until two summers ago. And um, as soon as I started playing, I absolutely loved it. And so we've been playing a ton. And um, we like to ski. So we lived in Colorado for a little while. And when we lived there, we spent a lot of our time skiing and going to different uh, resorts. And um, that's something that you know, we love doing and we'll look forward to hitting the slopes this year. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, will you go out West, ski West or will you ski? North? Out West. Nice. Well, that is awesome. Well, Radish said she will help out. If you'd go the food route, chef, get a food truck. She'd be glad to help. She loves tasting all the recipes. Okay. Yeah, let her know. I'll um, I'll call her up when the time comes. She'll be your best customer. She said. <laughs> she'll leave you a really. She'll get, leave you a really good review. Well, Lindsay, it I has been that. a pleasure having you on the happy hour today. What a yes, great! Thank story. you so much, Tom. Yeah, and audience, thank you for sticking around. I'll tell you what, I'm so excited. We're just getting started in 2024. These are just great stories, week after week. Just. Sit back, take them all in. There's we got 50 something episodes out there. Great stories. You're looking for a 20 year old just starting out, a 50 something year old who's made it and going through that has life wisdom, some experts on in on real estate investing. Now we got Lindsay talking about when it looked, I wouldn't say bleak, but there was a hole and climbing out of it. This is just you, you are what you consume. These are just great stories, real people real stories week after week. And thank you for joining the Money Happy Hour, where we make every hour a happy hour for your money.